0: Believe it or not, it is the 200th episode of the Corey Truax Show. It's going to be a special and extended one today, at least for you podcast listeners. We're going to start that discussion with Ahmad Arbery on today's Corey Act Show. I had a listener in the past actually write in and say, hey man, I don't think your numbering system is correct on the episodes. For those of you that listen live on radio on Saturday mornings on His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9, the podcast version I number, there's numbers of which episode we're on, and that person I remember was right, they were correct. And so the 200th episode was probably a few weeks ago, but once you start numbering and you're already like into your into the hundreds and you feel like you got and you realize you got it wrong, you don't change it. You just stick with your incorrect conclusion. And so, at least from my incorrect count, it is the 200th episode of the Corey Truax Show, and there is a lot on it. When I say it's extended, I just I know there's no way I can get to all of this. For example, let me set the table before you, and we will get started, and I'll do all the intro stuff here. I want to get to some audio from the Dallas salon owner who opened. Uh, Bill de Blasio said something really stupid I wanted to talk about. There's a video floating around. The challenge is the idea of freedom itself, that people like me don't understand freedom correctly. I had a response from a listener about my support of Justin Amash. There's a birth control case in front of the Supreme Court that needs some treatment and discussion. All of that before the main three actual times. To- well, those, sorry, that will come after. I want to respond to Pandemic. this video that's been going around, and that not not a few of you sent me. It's definitely more than a few that wanted me to respond to it. Uh, then what justice versus social justice looks like for the Christian, and now we will start with the... Really horrific story of a mod Arbery, and we'll do that in just a moment. First, my name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk about everything here on the Corey TrueAx Show. Thank you for listening to the podcast wherever you find it, or if you listen live on Saturday morning on his Radio, Talk 91.9, 92.9. Thank you for listening. I am deeply grateful when you listen to the show, share it with others. Also, I am the pastor for Be- the excuse me the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Beachwood meets at ten thirty on Sunday mornings at our property right there in Greenville. As now more and more churches are starting to reopen their doors. We we started on, I guess that was the 10th, May 10th, we got back together. It was also Mother's Day. which Hi, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Belated. All right, let's do this thing. Here we go. I'm sure you've heard the facts of the case in the Ahmad Arbery situation, that back in February, a young man, 25 or 26 years old, was jogging down the street doing no harm to anyone whatsoever, and he was accosted, confronted by three men. It's probably important for me to go ahead and, uh, and signify three white men, uh, 165, 134, that's my age, and one other I can't remember the name of the age of. They identified him, they, they say, as someone they thought who had been committing burglaries, and they were going to have, take some citizen's arrest action. These gentlemen, uh, I say that I say that word. I don't mean it. These biological males w- wanting to uh, do a citizens' arrest on someone that they suspected of a crime that they did not witness. They just had. They said they suspected already using that law incorrectly. And that's a te- those, those citizens' arrest laws are backward and terrible anyway. But they were even using a backward law incorrectly. Ahmad does. I think what I would have done, and almost all of us would have done especially men. I'm being confronted by men with guns. They're trying to detain me. They're just three random people. They're not cops. They have no authority over me to detain me. And they have guns. I'm going to fight my way out of this. I know I'm not going with them. I know I'm not staying there. I'm not staying around with three random men with guns who are trying to keep me. And as Ahmaud Arbery defended himself because he was being attacked, he's he's the one that's being accosted, you could just leave him alone, they wouldn't do that, and in the process of that, he was killed. And it's tragic, it's wrong, and it's an injustice. Before we get further to the facts of the case, and processing through the information, I think it is first, very important, especially from the Christian worldview, to stop and just feel it, to practice the Christian discipline of mourning with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. Because it's not just his family, siblings, parents, friends who mourn. We recognize that there is an entire class of people in the United States, that when these things happen, when a young black man is killed, often when this does happen, it is by a white law enforcement officer or someone else of the same hue that there's a bigger group of people that mourn. So the first thing is feel it and have this have the sadness around Ahmad Arbery losing his life. Number two justice was miscarried these people who chased him down say that they're doing so under the under uh, under the understanding that this person had committed burglaries he was a, they suspected him of that you know it's really important to understand the meaning of words burglary is a property crime robbery robbery is a term that includes a person so you can rob a person but you can't bur- burgle a person so what you're say, what they're saying is, their argument is, we think he went into homes where no one was, took things, and left. And so our authority now extends. Not to report that the proper authority and let the proper process take place. We think property crime includes us being able to take our guns to confront him. The, justice was miscarried. Because they thought they were doing justice and they were wrong. And then justice was miscarried because then that case languishes for months b- before the tape comes out. And then it requires the internet activism for what should have been taking place to take place. Now, there are there have been arrests for murder. I, I'm wondering ab- about how it all shakes out, but I know those men are going to go to prison for a long time. I know that you... That they, what they did was videotape their killing, their slaughter of another human being. And so justice was miscarried in Arbery's death, but justice was miscarried in that the system was not going to rectify the situation until there was an activist that made it happen. The, uh, I'll move on to the third point. So, first, be sad, feel it. Second, there was a miscarriage of justice in a bunch of different directions a point I was going to make there before number 3 was there and it goes into number 3 there is some there's a racial component here that's obvious all right there's a racial component that's obvious and those that would argue that there's not an obvious racial component I'm going to try to prove them wrong in here in just one second but the idea that this the man who did this who led the charge was not was not charged with anything and that if I understand correctly, and if I'm wrong, you can, you can write into the show. But what uh, the the report says from the original is he was defending himself, that he was defending himself against Ahmad Arbery. No, you accosted him. Whatever happens after that, that's on you, man. And and so there, this guy was a cop. He was a he was a, a cop previously before his retirement. There's certainly a a plausible argument to say. This was swept under the rug or not given the seriousness it deserved because cops protect cops. And so, and therefore, you could argue that there was no racial component. It was just cops protect cops. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let that shake out in the process. I am skeptical of it just being cops protecting cops. I think there is, and I think there's enough evidence to show there is something more systemic about the value of the life of someone who is racially in a minority group. Third, the racial component here is undeniable. It is also complicated. It is undeniable in that if if he's not black, if Ahmaud Arbery is not black, these men don't leave their home to go chase him down. They're, they're going to... He, he was even in athletic wear. It's one thing if someone's running down the street in jeans and like non-athletic wear. He was wearing athletic stuff. This is something that I would do. I don't like running, but I'd do it. But if I... I I don't look like a Mod Arbery, and so I don't apparently look suspicious to some people. Now, there there is this undeniable racial component. When I say it's complicated, is th- there are arguments then there to say, well, the rest of it wasn't the the the, the lack of charging the people, uh, the, the the all the other components of the story. Maybe they don't have a racial component. L- let's all settle that. There's enough facts in the case to recognize that if race were not part of this case, this case probably does not happen. The actual interaction and conflict probably doesn't take place at all. Fourth, this individual case here is an obvious problem. I call it a miscarriage of justice. It is a tragedy. And to the fullest extent of the law, those who perpetrated it should be punished. At the same time, I don't, I've got to be that guy. I will always be that guy that is going to balance these things out. Not, not being the person of pathos, being driven by the feelings, but being driven by keeping all of those things in, the, the, logos, the, patho, the logos, the pathos, and the ethos, keeping all of those in balance with one another and recognizing that things that are then being said out on Twitter, like LeBron James said, that we can't, we, we being black men, can't leave our houses without being hunted every day. All right, so let's not go there either. Because you know what happened today? Tens of millions of black men left their home and came home safely. And millions of cops didn't kill anybody today. So that kind of language is unhelpful. We already have a problem. We already have a racial tension or racial conflict problem. We don't need to exasperate it by then using language that's irresponsible and starts to build the passions. We don't need to do that either. Final thought on this, and we'll come on back to another topic. So if, I want to add my voice to the Ahmaud Arbery commentary to say it is sad, and we need to be a people recognizing that there is a, a racial component to these things, and especially for the Christian perspective, working towards a culture of reconciliation. That's what, that's what we're for. It is where it is to where we are going. We get to see an image of a new heavens and a new earth scripturally. In a, not everyone's going to look like you, by the way, or me, or anyone who's listening. Literally anyone who's listening. Not everyone's going to look the same. We're still going to have differences in the new heaven and new earth. And it is a place of reconciliation and harmony amongst peoples. I'm tempted to go do this now, but maybe I'll save it for another show. There was a Pulitzer Prize given out here recently, or a Nobel Prize, can't remember which one. Yeah, I think it's a Pulitzer. to the New York Times 1619 Project. I'll probably do an entire segment on this some other time. The 1619 Project basically says that 1776 wasn't when the country was founded. It was 1619 when the first slave slave came here. It's garbage history. It is really unintellectual, but it's it's one of those things that continues to... To, to build a cultural conflict that we need to be working towards reconciliation on. Uh, and I can't get into it right now, So, but we, we got to do both things. Recognizing this case is bad, this case needs justice. There is a systemic cultural problem at the same time, and when we say there's a systemic cultural problem, it doesn't mean the culture itself is poisonous from the beginning and utterly terrible, and you can't be safe walking around the street. We don't have to live in the extremes. We can always come to some kind of balance as we work through all the different interests of every discussion. When we come back, this is an issue of justice, right? We said that word a lot in that segment. I want to talk about social justice and what that word means for the Christian, and then we will dive, we will dive into the plan movie that's been going around the interwebs. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of The Cory Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. And I'm always grateful for your thoughts and reactions to the show when you listen. For example, I got a message after last week's show from Robert on Facebook that just said, Great show on May 9th. And I know I shouldn't feel so much affirmation from people's kind words, but I do okay. And so that felt pretty good. So thanks, Robert, for saying so. You're always welcome to write into the show as well. Let's get back to work. Because again, there's a lot to do on this 200th episode of the show that is going to extend for you podcast listeners. So the Ahmad Arbery case gets us thinking about the concept of justice and the miscarriage thereof. And that starts my mind ruminating on the reality that we are sitting in a world right now where we've even created a sub-genre of the culture called social justice warriors. It's usually used as some kind of epithet. And in the Christian world, there's even been, in the Southern Baptist Convention in particular, there's been a discussion around the use of social justice using that term because it has become popularized in leftist circles and secular leftism. Now, at the same time, it was originally a biblical term. It belongs to the scriptures. It belongs to the Bible. And now there are secularists and left-wingers who are using it for their own purposes. So there's a difference between the biblical idea of justice... And, and, the, and that idea that Christians should be activists for it. So the, I think the dichotomy gets set up that the social justice people are doing stuff. They're working, for, they're working for the good of people. But you people who are just for justice, that's me, you're not doing anything for the good of others. And so there's this conflict between the idea of justice and social justice. And I want to get into that right now. So first, I want to give you just a, like a list of things that make the two different. And before I do that, one more thing. You know, I said that thing about social justice has become an epithet. Like you're just a social justice warrior. I'm gonna. I have to run a quick rabbit trail. That is something I'm noticing about the intellectual deficiency of our discussions in the United States of America. Is we think labeling stuff is an argument. Like I've I've said something to somebody, and they they might just say, "Oh, that's just conservative talking points." Um, so you lab- you labeled it, and now it's wrong. You just called it a thing? You don't want to respond to it? I've also had people say, you know, that that sounds like a liberal point. Um, okay. So, so is it wrong now? We just called it a liberal? That's your argument? You labeled it? You put a label on it and now it's it's wrong? Labeling things isn't an argument. It's just labeling things. And so then, I've noticed that with social justice warrior stuff. That, For example, that last segment I did, there'd be some sections of Christianity that would say, well, you're just trying to appe- appease the left um, and make the world like you or something. And by the world, they mean unbelievers. Um, okay, so you ascribed a motive to me and you gave it a label. Would you like to interact with any of the actual ideas? Or do you want to grow up, honey? Do you want to grow up and start having adult conversations? Because adult conversations don't come with just labeling ideas. All right, that was my rabbit trail. We'll come back. Justice for the Christian. This is what we seek. We want justice for not just us, but for the world around us. We want to see justice. It's a good thing. In that word, justice, it means people getting what they deserve. Good and just societies will have institutions, governments among men, agreements among local groups, in some way or another to ensure justice. That does mean getting what you deserve. It does mean punishment for wrongdoing. When someone does the wrong thing, some agreed upon, hopefully pre-agreed upon consequence for the wrongdoing is what they get. You, You hurt someone in this way, what you deserve is to be given this punishment, and you actually get the punishment. Another method of justice is not just giving what someone deserves so you get you get punishment for wrongdoing, but it would also be something like recompense for damages. If you damage someone in a way that's not technically illegal, well, what they deserve is recompense. They deserve to be made whole. You can even get that as a concept biblically in the Old Testament, in the laws. If you hurt someone's oxen because they... Is that the plural? Ox, oxen? Uh, if you hurt an ox that someone uses to make food for their family. You have to pay recompense. There's, there's other examples of that in the Old Testament from you hurting someone's property or people because people were a resource. You pay recompense. Make them whole. So that's what we want. We want justice. People that do wrong get what they deserve. People that are, are hurt get what they deserve, which is to be made whole. We want justice. So biblical justice is not like what we're getting in this social justice world. And for a while, you know, I kept using the word social justice. I was stubborn. I was like, hey, it's a biblical word. They're using it wrongly, but it's our word, and so I'm going to keep using it. I've stopped using it because the definition of social justice has become that secular leftist view. Biblical justice is, is, is choosing a system where the right things happen where justice takes place. So get that language. It's about the, the outcomes and the concepts. Social justice is not looking for that. Social justice is primarily about identities. So we, we in the justice world, we, we uphold justice, whereas social justice looks to uphold a group. They look at a group of people and say, that group has been unfavored, and so now we want to favor them. We want to take an unfavored group and not bring the unfavored group to neutral, but bring the unfavored group to favored. Whereas the justice people would just say, "No, equality for all, equality under the law. That's what we. That's what we want. We want to we want to be equal." Where social justice says, "No, I don't," because there's been an historic uh, inequity, in inequality. There's been an historic inequality. Now we want to have a new inequality to make up for the historical one, and that's not the biblical justice. The biblical justice would say, treat everyone the same. Biblical justice is indeed, as the old saying goes, justice is blind. That's why in many of the courthouses, different museums, you might see that statue of a woman who's got the scales in her hand, the scales of justice, and she is blind, because the idea, the ideal system of justice would be that I'm not saying we have it. I'm saying here's the ideal one. The ideal system of justice is that the rich person and the poor person get the same outcome from the social from the criminal justice system from the justice system. That the person of this majority culture and this person of minority culture that they get the same outcomes for the same for the same crime or same activity. We definitely don't have a blind justice system, but that's what we're aiming for. The goal of for people like me for the justice system is equality under the law. The social justice system is specifically that. It is no we don't. We do not want a blind justice system. Take the blindfold off and when a when a let's go with a crime committed. When a crime is committed, we want to know about the background of the perpetrator. We don't want to just deal with the facts of the case. Like we we want to take all the blinders off and and, and get beyond, ju- not just beyond justice, but institute a new kind of justice, which is not just at all, social justice. Social, uh, here's another another difference between the two. We, the, the biblical justice people, we seek equality under the law. The idea is all people should be treated the same when it comes to their interactions with the government and especially the criminal justice system. Social justice speaks, excuse me, seeks Equality, and that's the end of the sentence. Whereas we want equality under the law, they want equality in absolutely everything, and that's not justice at all. Listen really quickly, this will blow your mind. Equality is not a biblical value. I'm going to say it one more time. Equality is not a biblical value. Equity is. Equity means fairness, that everyone is treated fairly, gets a fair shot gets a fair opportunity fair not equality the the pictures we have of the church of israel of the governments even the, the theocratic governance of israel and then as we go on through the laws that we can pick up through chronicles of david all that david Saul, solomon there is not a biblical mandate placed on create equality this is and i would challenge you on that it doesn't it doesn't exist that there's a call to go make all things equal. But there is a thing to go work to make things fair, to bring equity. And so we need to get that straight as we even deal with things like the Ahmad Arbery case. We are the people of justice, but sometimes what the world calls justice isn't justice at all. One of the things that we are supposed to be is we are the people of impartiality. I talked about that on the show recently. We, we do not show partiality or impartiality, excuse me, partiality or... Well, I guess the opposite would be some kind of disfavor. But we don't favor or disfavor anyone based on their race, their parental situation, their, whether, or not, whether or not they've been divorced. Uh, what are some other bad ones where we judge people? We shouldn't do that. Their, uh, or their income, their income level. We are the impartiality people. We've done it imperfectly. But that's who we're supposed to be. And then actually go do that. Go actually seek justice. It is not social justice to say Ahmad Arbery was killed. Possibly the term could be murder, definitely killed unjustly. And the people who did it should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. That's not being a social justice warrior. That's being for justice. And But the Christian, by the way, needs to speak up and say so. We need to be the people that speak up and say those words. Now, speaking of things, Christians should be. So we should be the people of justice. And we should be the people of, par- of not being partial. We should be people of impartiality. We should also be the people of discretion and wisdom. And so I want to, with so much grace that I can muster, I want to explore this pandemic video that's been going around the internet. In particular, I'll give you some details on it if you haven't heard of it yet in a second. In particular... I've seen it going around Christian circles at a fairly high rate. And so as we get information, it's important for the Christian to be discerning, to be introspective, retrospective, and circumspective. We're circumspective. We're looking around, we're looking, we're looking inward, we're looking back for what history might teach us. We are curious to get facts and information, and then we don't soak in information from really any source without showing some skepticism for it i really want to emphasize that really quickly the bereans in the book of acts they are celebrated they are lauded in the book of acts because they showed let's call it skepticism they they wanted to test paul paul taught them something preached some things to them and they are spoken of favorably in the new testament because they wanted to test it and they wanted to work on it themselves And so for the Christian, we can't be like the rest of the world when it comes to imbibing information about anything, including the coronavirus and the response thereto. We need to be like Bereans and work through facts and and explore them. Here's the thing that the rest of the world does that the Christian shouldn't do. The rest of the world, and a lot of Christians, participate in something called confirmation bias. When we hear information that confirms something that we have already believed, we just assume it's right and true and trustworthy. And when we hear information, that challenges something we already think or already suspect. We just assume it's wrong. Where the reaction for both situations is, or should be, huh, that's interesting. I wonder, I wonder if that's true. What kind of further work should I do before I just assume it's true and share it with the rest of the internet? So that's going on with the pandemic out there right now Plandemic is a video it is not a documentary as I will discuss in a moment it is a video that it's only put out the first 30 minutes apparently there's going to be two other installments of it go out let let me start here I, I think I've probably already betrayed by my tone I have some skepticism around it but let me change my tone and actually try to be helpful in this discussion for some of you who might have seen it and are compelled by it or you are someone like Will who wrote into the show and said hey what what do you what do we say to people in our own lives who who see this and are convinced by it who are compelled by this i want to start here i was compelled by it in some ways i can see how it would gain some credibility in your minds and so here's why I think it seems credible to some people. And that needs to be said. It's got some credibility because of these factors. It confirms a lot of our suspicion. If someone has a suspicion that this virus situation is not nearly as bad as the regular media is making it, if you already think that and this comes along, well, it helps confirm the thing you already believe. And so that builds its credibility. If you're already suspicious that profits drive medicine, making money is what's driving the medical sciences, well, then this confirms that for you. It will say, yes, you're correct. If you already thought that, you're correct. If you just think there's a lot more to this story that we don't know yet, there there are some people with agendas and pushing agendas and using COVID-19 and its responses to get things they want. If you already suspect that, This helps confirm it. It says, "Yes, you're right. What you suspected is correct." If you think, if you're suspicious that government is corrupt and allows corrupt things to happen in the medical sciences and through its own and through some of its laws, you're going to feel confirmed and affirmed. I'm suspicious about these things, and they affirmed that in me. Even one for me, the the idea that there are the uh, what's the best one? Oh the the idea that there are deaths being credited to covid-19 that aren't actually covid deaths that that, that confirmed that for me like this this documentary says to me that thing that you think cuz i do think that i do think there are people and i think that primarily because dr burks said something similar to that that we are being very liberal with our classification of covid deaths so you, we really There's lots of ways you you could die, but if you had COVID when you died, whether COVID was the the thing that made it happen or not, we're counting it as a COVID death. Now, I balance that out and know that the inverse is also true. We have to also know there's got to be some untold big number of people all over the world that aren't getting any kind of medical care who are dying of COVID-19, and so the death never gets investigated. There's no test ever given, you have to assume, I think it's safe to assume, that there are people dying of COVID-19 even in developed countries in the United States. And because of lack of testing, we were never able to actually confirm that that death was a COVID-19 death. But just as an example, this, this thing that you saw, pandemic, it seems credible, like you should believe it, in part. Because for every one of us, probably for every single person who watched it, at least part of it confirms something we already had suspicion about. So, I've said that it has some credibility. Now, when we come back, I want to give you the problems. Problems that I saw with it. I hope my tone is coming across this way. You are not an idiot if you believed it. If you believe the entire documentary. You're not a moron. You're not duped. There was some credibility there that I understand. Now, let's be critical, skeptical thinkers about all the information that we get in the world. We are going to take what the Bible says, take every thought captive. Even some of those thoughts are the news that we get and the reaction of the news and information that we get. I'm even going to play a piece of Plandemic when we come back to talk about some of the problems I saw and why there should be some skepticism that comes along with having some of your suspicions confirmed. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of The Cory Act Show. Welcome back to the final segment of the True Truax Show. When I say final segment, for you radio listeners, I am basically positive that this show is going to be longer today for the podcasters. And so if you are so inclined to get the rest of the show after it stops airing on his radio talk 91.9 and 92.9, you can find it at Show at gmail.com. You can find it wherever podcasts are. It's best when you find it, the podcast version, because it's easier to count you. And so I can uh, show my metrics of the, of the show better than the website. But in, in any event, if you want to find the rest of the show, wherever you find podcasts, look for the Corey Truax Show or, or CoreyTruax.com. I'm sorry, CoreyTruax.com. All right, we're talking about pandemic. I totally understand those that find it credible and found a lot of it compelling. Now I want to give you some of the problems I had as I listened to it. Uh, let me give it one more piece of credibility in the world of conspiracy and i don't i don't want to necessarily put this into conspiracy category but when information is being distributed where the the one of its main premises is we're telling you the story that no one else will tell you one of the things i listen to listen for often is the use of they like when they're talking about whoever the bad person is or the bad bad organization or whatever bad thing is happening, they just keep saying they. Because if it's, if it's only ever they, you know, they're. They're doing it. They are. You can go ahead and assume whoever's talking to you is, is missing some information and is a smidge intellectually deficient in their arguments. But at least in this documentary, there was some sp- specific names given and claims. So that's to its credit as well. But here we go to the problems. Do you guys remember English class in history? Excuse me, English class in high school, or maybe you got it in college from an English 101 type class? And you get to the point where you're supposed to be making an argumentative essay. And we all learn about pathos, logos, and ethos. That there are different arguments people make. There are sometimes pathos arguments, appeal to people's feelings as you argue. Sometimes you will argue ethos, you will argue from authority. Listen because this person is an expert. They know what they're doing. That's why you should listen to this argument. And then there is the best of them, the strongest of them, the one that I try to live in the most, and that is Logos. The argument from logic and reason. The first eight minutes of Plandemic is covered in ethos and pathos. But no Logos. It has the first eight minutes is telling you, here's a woman who is two things. She's super de duper qualified. Let us tell you all of her qualifications. And also she's a victim. They don't fact check a word she says, but just let her, let her tell her story with no skepticism. And then what it's supposed to do to you is, Oh, I trust her. I believe everything she says. So before she gets into anything about COVID-19, you just create a victimized woman who is smart, and so now believe whatever she says. And so that's It's ethos. I'm, a, I'm appealing to her. She's such an expert. Whatever she says, listen. I'm also appealing to your feelings. Don't you see? She was a victim. She's a victim against all the big, powerful people. Which leads to my second problem. So they're, they're using ethos and pathos instead of the logical arguments, but there's also a misleading aesthetic. I'm almost offended that this thing is being called a documentary by some people. That's not a documentary. That was essentially an interview with no skeptical questions asked whatsoever. It was the kind of interview that Sean Hannity gives Donald Trump. It's the kind of interview that someone on MSNBC gives Barack Obama. Are those documentary type of of interviews? No, they're softball friendly conversations. If this was an actual documentary and something that had more credibility, she makes a claim about her research or why she was in prison or jail, whatever you want to call it. She has her side of the story of her conflict with uh, Fauci, her conflict with someone else. And you know what a real documentary does? It goes and gets some other opinions. It, you know, documents. It goes and asks Fauci. It goes and asks, if, and if he won't talk, you ask mutual friends from the time. But you do the work to recognize, oh, I wonder if this woman, get this, might be lying. I wonder if, if the woman who has been to jail, just because someone's, by the way, just because someone's been in jail doesn't mean they're liars, lots of great people who have had experiences in jail. But, like, we, we do have some skepticism to show here. Like, there's this, there is this idea, I think, that some folks are f- super attracted to, that they have secret knowledge. I know something that not everyone else knows. That's not usually how it works. Consider how broad that conspiracy would have to be. So she is this victimized person being left out of the scientific community. That is going to have to include literally tens of thousands of people, but she's the one. She's the one that really knows. All right, between the two options of the tens of thousands of experts and the one lady on the internet with no skepticism being shown to her whatsoever in that interview, you know, I would argue using logos, using the logic, maybe she's not as trustworthy as you're making her out to be. And so it has a very misleading aesthetic. It treats it like a documentary. It is not a documentary whatsoever. I I don't like the word propaganda because it has a negative connotation, but it is that's the, that's the genre that it is. It's, it's someone telling only their side of the story and no other evidence or voices get included in it. It also does include no fact-checking. She got to go for eight minutes talking about herself and telling her side of a story that's obviously quite complicated, and they, they fact-checked none of it. Just, she said it, and I'm supposed to believe it. To which I, I would say to her and to the entire makers of that documentary regarding her part of it, I don't believe you. If you're going to make big arguments, you're going to need to produce big evidence. And you didn't. Your entire evidence is her story. It's words coming out of her mouth. If you want to build some credibility, you're going to need to build a better argument. Here's another problem that should build some skepticism for all of us. Something I've learned in life is when someone is being particularly... Let's go hysterical. When their language is quite hysterical, they lose some credibility. And that's the, the language this woman is using th- throughout. And I, I feel like that would, would offend somebody almost, like that word, the word hysterical or that, that idea that when someone pre- presents something with a lot of passion that they become less credible. Well, when we are dealing with facts, that's what needs to speak. And when someone starts to get into hysterical language, they do lose some credibility. I want to play for you about a one-minute clip maybe from Plandemic and this doctor that they featured. Here you go. That act gave government workers the right to patent their discoveries. So to, to claim intellectual property for discoveries that the taxpayer paid for. Really quick interruption. That act she's talking about, was an act from the, I guess, 80s or 90s. Yeah, it was from the 80s. And you heard her say what it does. So, Researchers at universities and medical institutions that the government funds, if you make a particular discovery, you still have the ability to patent that idea. And most of the time, patents are the point is to go make some money off of it. We can talk about the... Uh, the wisdom of that policy in a minute, but that's that's what she's talking about. She's talking about a piece of legislation that allows people in the scientific world that work in government institutions to patent their own ideas. Ever since that happened in the early 80s, it destroyed science. Now, that's that's the part of the hysterical language I wanted to get to. Did it really, though, honestly, honey? I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. should have said the honey part. But the 80s... Did we destroy science or are we in the golden age of it? What the things we have done since the eighties on science and granted a lot of it has gone to our TVs, but in different entertainments, but it's from the eighties that we get all the satellite technology. It's from after the eighties that we get wireless internet everywhere Talk about medical advancement—the way that we would treat. There, there were people that just straight up had certain heart conditions in the '80s. Well, your plan is to die, and now we have the ability to essentially take your heart out, let a machine keep it pumping for a little while, while we work on other, we work on other parts of your heart, and then we'll put it back in and sew you back up. It destroyed science. Science is better than it's ever been. We have more treatments when it comes to medical technology. We have again with with internet. Uh, even like let's go with um, them basically not automotive technology i'm thinking of just travel technology how we fly essentially that our cars oh guys go get a bmw from 1985 and compare it to a kia from today the kia from today is the better car because all of our cars are just computers of course we didn't destroy science in the 80s that's one of those I'm gonna say it. That's a dumb thing to say. That's a really stupid thing to come out of your mouth. And it's also hysterical. This act we had that allowed people to, to, to own their ideas, it destroyed science. All right, calm down. You've lost some credibility. And this allowed the development of those conflicts of interest. And this is the crime behind letting somebody like Bill Gates with billions of dollars. Nobody elected him. He has no medical background. He has no expertise. But we let people like that have a voice in this country. Okay, again, hysterical language. She called it a crime. The crime of letting people like Bill Gates, like rich people, get involved in medical science, right? Not a crime. We can debate the wisdom of it. It's not a crime. And this affects, or it should affect, your view of of her credibility. She also mentioned there at the beginning, she said this conflict or these conflicts of interest. What she means there is something I, I partially agree with. It's something we probably do need to talk about. We have a reality where somebody can be studying a... A remedy, a, a treatment, a therapy for a given thing, and then patent an idea a, around that treatment, remedy, therapy, and so they are going to be able to later profit off of the idea. So I, I definitely don't mind people profiting off their own, their ideas, including medical ideas. It's what incentivizes us to have the the most medical advancement in the world all the problems of our syst- of our system, and God, our medical system has got all kinds of problems. One of the things we don't suffer for is innovation. And partly, we innovate so well because there's patents and people can make a bunch of money off of what they create and patent. But I am open to the idea that, you know, if you if you did all your research with taxpayer money, you did it with my money, you, the listener, did it with your money, and then you get to patented and make all the profit but i was your seed money i was the money that allowed you to do the research to figure out if the idea works at all and then you are the only one who gets to make the money off of it i don't you know i mean i i can say with her i don't like that i don't think it's a good law we should we should probably repeal it now the the hysterical language around it is not helpful. But that's something I took from Plandemic and went, yeah, all right, that's a good point. We, we probably should not be doing it that way. While we destroy the lives of millions of people. Normalcy only returns when we've largely vaccinated the entire global population. If we... Real quickly, so that more historical language when she talks about the killing of millions. Uh, all right, I don't know what you're talking about, talking about. Well, I don't I don't know that we've hit a million we probably have hit a million COVID deaths. I don't even know if that's what you're talking about, but you're essentially talking about government policy and politicians killing millions of people. Again, calm down. You're you're causing it hard to listen to everything else you say by being so hysterical. We activate mandatory vaccines globally. I imagine these people stand to make hundreds of billions of dollars that own the vaccines and they'll kill millions. As they already have with their vaccines. Okay, that's just crazy. but also with the hysterical language and they'll kill millions. They're, like consider what she's saying. So his, the, the interviewer's idea here is there's a bunch of people who obviously just want to make a bunch of money and so they want to create a vaccine to make a bunch of money uh, and they'll, they're going make they'll make the money if they do it and her response is yes and they'll kill millions. But killed they're gonna kill people with their vaccine? And she's as they've and she says, as they already have killed people with their vaccines. So that is the language of a crazy person. That there are people committing murder through vaccine, killing people by giving them vaccines. And then sometimes we just need to stop and think about the argument they're making. They just brought up Bill Gates as part of the problem, and then there these people who own patents for vaccines stand to make hundreds of billions. You know who laughs at a billion dollars? Bill Gates. If you're going to build your argument on greed, maybe don't make the argument built on the guy who needs nothing. He could spend a million dollars a second for the next 10 years. He probably won't live for 10 more years. And he wouldn't get close to touching his wealth. What do you think Bill Gates wants billions of dollars for? The argument itself is nonsensical. And then you you have her with the hysterical language of,
1: and they'll kill millions. They'll kill millions with their vaccine.
0: So, so I said some credible things about this documentary, but we do have to balance it on the things that are not credible. And it's, that, that's what she just said there in that a minute and a half. There's just a lot of dumb there. There's a lot of dumb to it. And there was also, near the end, there's an obvious partiality that these people have. These two people, this woman, this guy, have an obvious partiality to natural remedies. I I understand those folks. If you're one of them, I got you. Cool. If you think we should use less medicines and all that, I I don't necessarily want to argue with you. I would make this point that where the world is using less medicines, they are dying faster. It's called the Global South, Latin America, and Africa. I would argue that where people are eating natural and living natural, for the most of human history, we were dying at 35 and 40. It's been the advancement of medical science, medicines, and the nutrition that has allowed us at large to have longer and more fulfilling lives. But okay, fine. If you like these or if there's people if you're one of these people that wants natural remedies, that's cool. Let's not then uh, take the next step of saying, and if you don't for want the natural remedies, you're murdering people. You're killing people with your non-natural remedies. That takes many steps too far. Now, you have to choose. You have to choose who you believe. You have to choose what you believe and why you why people deserve credibility or not. But the call for the Christian, my final call here, is be discerning. We have to be a discerning people. So when you hear stuff that affirms what you already believe or challenges what you already believe, challenge it in your own mind. Go further. Do do some digging. You're all smart. And then decide whether or not what you heard was credible or not. Podcast listeners, stick around. We've got a lot more to do, and it's going to be a blast. Uh, radio listeners, go find the podcast at com or just find it wherever you find podcasts. Until next time, everybody, peace and love. Welcome back, podcasters. There was just so much this week that I wanted to talk about that I, I knew I was going to end up having to do more broadcasting than usual. So thank you for sticking around if you listen to the entire sh- uh, that entire show. Now we get some bonus time together. I could always hold this stuff and just do another episode, but... I think that's lazy, and so uh, you, the listener, deserve better than my laziness. So here we go. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Six things I wanted to get through. Let's see if we can do it in less than 30 minutes. I hope so. There is a case before the Supreme Court that was argued, I guess that was last week or the week before, continuing this conversation about whether or not government can make an employer pay for birth control for its employees knowing that folks like Hobby Lobby and there's going to be others that find that objectionable. Some people have, I don't, but some people have a a moral objection to birth control itself. And so they, in my opinion, should not be forced to pay for it for others. My bigger piece of commentary is twofold. One, of course they shouldn't. Government should stop mandating so much stuff. Stop mandating what what the employer has to cover for the employee. My bigger reaction is to what I see on Twitter and social media as part of the arguments. There is this long-standing argument on the left that I did kind of see come out during this. That was keep uh, my my sex life none of my, none of your business. No, or the old thing was excuse me. It was my sex life is none of my employer's business. And then you, if the old trope was, get your laws off my body or uh, keep the government out of the bedroom. To which I would say to all of those, okay, let's do that, please. Let's keep the government out of your bedroom. That includes the government's money. So that's mine. Uh, you, want to, you want to have consequence-less, consequence-less sex on my dime? No, have it on your dime. It's not even costing many dimes. Birth control, when you spe- if we're using it specifically as contraception, is quite affordable. And so I just see the hypocrisy of that, as, uh, and I had to bring it up. Like, I desperately want out of your bedroom. I want nothing to do with what's happening in there. So leave my money right outside the door. I will take it. You go do what you're doing, and I would like my money back, please. It's okay. There you go. That's the birth control case. I definitely want uh, definitely want nothing to do with your sex life and so you need to want nothing to do with my financial life. That's just a fair trade. Next, I uh, had a email from uh, from Wayne who listens to the show regularly. Thanks, Wayne. Uh, I think he listens on the radio though, so he might not hear this. He wrote into me about how I was supporting Justin Amash for president and he made the argument that I I will hear a lot, I heard a lot during 2016 that the most important thing is Supreme Court justices. We've, we've messed up our government system so much that what matters is who's on the Supreme Court because they get the final say in everything, and so would you rather Joe Biden pick the next several judges or Donald Trump pick the next several judges? In, a, in 2016, when, it was that, when that formulation was with Hillary Clinton, I very genuinely believed, who cares? They're the same person. They're not going to pick anything different. I guess I, I didn't understand how much at the time Donald Trump is loyal to people who were loyal to him. So if you're good to him, he's good to you back. And that's what's happened. Uh, I, feel, I feel really good about Gorsuch, the first one. I feel less good about Kavanaugh. I don't think he's quite the constitutionalist I am, and I don't think he's as much of a constitutionalist as we could have gotten. Uh, but to, to that argument, this is where I am just over and over willing to say, I'm willing to play the long game. I, I don't think America ebbs and flows or falls and rises in five or ten years. I think we're going to be here for a hundred more years or more. And the, getting bad Supreme Court justices is bad. It is. Getting bad Supreme Court decisions, devastating. But I am willing to take some all kinds of losses to get to a system that is a better system. And also, I am more than willing to take lots of losses for things I believe in. I, I will be miserable. I will do things that make me miserable if I think it's the right thing. I'll, I'll do things that cost me if, it, if it's the right thing to do. And I still, I have my view on Donald, Donald Trump. And so I wanted, I'm going to do uh, what, my, what my conscience calls me to do and what happens with the Supreme Court happens and we'll move on from there. But he wrote in with that so I wanted to get to it. Uh, number three of six. There was a story in the New York Post about Manhattan parents, so parents in Manhattan, typically parents of one child. That's very normal in that area. And they were bemoaning the fact that summer camps were being canceled. One, and oh, by the way, the summer camps, some of them in that story were like $10,000 for a week, 15 grand for a week to go to a summer camp. And these parents were bemoaning having to spend extra time with their kids, basically. One woman actually was quoted in the story. It's so vivid to me. She said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm stuck with him. W- you, what? You're stuck with your own kid? I bet you're mom of the year. I, I understand kids can get tiresome, but that kind of language, like we just don't place enough value on kids. I'm not gonna get too personal, but some of us would love to be stuck with some kids, you know It's such an insensitivity to the to the people who wanted kids and never got to have them, and there's like a thousand different reasons for that I I know, but that's just that kind of language bothered me so deeply. There's some of us that want to be stuck with kids all summer, and you've got you've got this great blessing. Children are such a blessing and then have the attitude of, well, I'm stuck with them. It just, it got me. All right, audio. Uh, This is the last three stories or pieces of audio I want to play for you and then respond to. So we're going to start with a short one, but I consider this woman to just be something of a, she's like a hero to me now. She is the woman in Texas who reopened her salon and then got arrested for it. I just thought it was really compelling audio that she gave to the judge. Here you go.
1: I've never been, been in this position before, and it's not some place that I want to be. But I have to disagree with you, sir, when, I, when you say that I'm selfish because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going
0: hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salon. I love that woman. What up? That's so brave and so, so much moral clarity. She wanted to open her salon to make a living to feed her kids, so her stylist could make a living to feed her kids. And the video that she did to say, I'm going to open my salon to, so I can ha- start having some business and, and making the money I have to to live... We're going to do it with uh, with some very hard core rules where you don't come into a waiting area that when you arrive, you call and let us know. Your your stylist will come out and get you. You won't touch the front door. We're going to do what we do. Sanitize your stuff on the way out. Sanitize your stuff when it comes in. Like They had a plan in place. There is a way to operate a business responsibly even during this time. And this, uh, this woman who ended up leaving... She got out of jail. There was a bunch of people there to greet her. They're cheering her on. Governor Abbott of, of Texas, I think he said he would, he would pay her fine or serve her sentence if it would come that way. An injustice was done there, and she's such a good testament to the reality that we can do this, guys. We can reopen. We got to do it carefully. Can't do it with no precautions. But we got. It, but we have to do it. And I like her. It's good audio. Uh, the, next up, this is from. Oh. Uh Mayor de Blasio talking about the problems we've had with nursing homes. I, I think I think I saw the stat. It was close to 50%. Close to 50% of the deaths related to COVID-19 ni- in the United States, or maybe it was just in New York. It was one or the other. It was in the country or in New York. Happened in nursing homes. So he's getting a question about that. Here is the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio.
1: This has got to be the most. More-
0: Nope, that is not Bill de Blasio. I pressed the wrong button. Good thing we're in overtime right now. And I messed up my... I can't find it. Uh, So we're in bonus time anyway, guys. So this is not going to go on radio. Um, De Blasio said he was concerned that the for-profit nursing homes would not have the interest of their patients in mind. Like, that's... So he's concerned about older people going to for-profit nursing homes. Well, okay, you good old Soviet, got several thoughts for you. Uh, Number one, profit motive is what drives people to be excellent. You want to provide excellent care for your patients or your residents when you're in some kind of nursing home. Why? Because they can leave and their money can go somewhere else. You know where that doesn't happen? Government facilities. And now we actually have the numbers that there have been more deaths in government-subsidized, government-run facilities for older people than the private ones. Because, of course. Because there's no competition for the government. They can... Oh, oh I'm in bonus. I can talk like I usually talk. Like this word I'm about to say, I couldn't say on the radio. The government can suck, and they, no one competes with them. What are you going to do? Find a new government? Sorry, you're in the United States of America. If your government facility sucks, then you're out of luck. That's how it works. And so profit is what actually drives people to do a better job. And we actually do now have the numbers to illustrate that is the case, that the private facilities have been doing better. There is this idea, I don't understand with a good deal of folks, that when the government does it, it just becomes more virtuous. Like the people that work for government, they're just angels. You people that work in the private sector, you're demons. No, how about every industry and every type of employer has some good people and has some bad people. That's how it works. Final video here. I just played for you a second ago, a moment of it. I didn't mean to. Um, I want to work through a video that challenges the idea of freedom. And because people are saying they want their freedom to go live their lives in the public world. Let me rewind it, I think, back to where we started. Uh, So I don't even actually remember who did this. It was like eight minutes long. I clipped it together so that we could get the gist of it. I will respond as we go. Again, the, the topic being freedom, valuing
1: freedom, and that's why we want to reopen the country. Here we go. This has got to be the most reckless, dangerous, selfish thing I've ever seen in my life. Thinking about all those hospital workers and public servants putting their lives at risk and seeing this It really just makes me sick, but it goes deeper than that. I hope that none of them are Catholic because what's causing people to protest in this way, the core ideology that they're expressing, is a sense of freedom that is far more individualistic, even anarchist than it is Christian. And so I think it's worth addressing for the rest of us. What does it mean to be free?
0: Okay, so real quickly, Um, he's actually wearing the the thing Catholics wear, not the collar, but the, the brown, like hood thing, is that like the Friar Tuck thing. So he's some young Catholic guy who's upset at people who are protesting to reopen. I've had my own problems with the protesters. Primarily their method. Their, they have been self-defeating in their method. I empathize a great deal with their message, but their method has been really destructive. So now his question here is, well these people are saying they want to be free. Well let's talk about what it means to be free.
1: To get at that let me pose a hypothetical scenario. Two people are dying of thirst. Without a drink in the next few minutes, they're going to pass out and ultimately die. The first person can choose between drinking motor oil, hydrochloric acid, the liquid inside of a lava lamp, a bottle of Windex, and a leaky battery. Five options. The second person has clean water, and that's it. Just one choice, take it or leave it. Based on your definition of freedom, which of the two people is more free? Most people are willing to give up some freedoms to live in society. What an
0: idiotic argument. I mean, the type of immature stupidity in the argument. One, never argue by analogy. It never works. Analogies always break down. Just make your point, give out facts, and stop arguing like a child. But this false dichotomy, because it is false. Who's more free? The person who's dying of thirst and has to drink from motor oil, pesticide, and whatever else. Or the person with only the one choice, water? Okay, so you're comparing this to COVID-19. COVID-19 isn't drinking pesticide. It's bad. Very, very bad. But you're literally setting, a, setting up an analogy that these people are imminently going to die. That's not what COVID-19 does, buddy. And then there's the one person with the one choice the one choice of water. There's other reasons that's a bad argument, but man, that's an immature, stupid argument to compare to COVID-19.
1: Agreeing to laws like not to murder each other or steal each other's property. But there's only so much one can take, which is why some people are protesting today. They're being told that they have to wear masks, that they can't go to church, that they must stay six feet apart in small groups. And that's just too much for them. Their choices are too limited and so they don't feel free. They're like the person given only one choice of a glass of water. But given the scenario, isn't that actually the better choice?
0: First, you don't get to decide what the best choice is for people. That's one of the most arrogant things folks on the left do. They get to decide what's best for you. And if you don't agree with them, then uh, I I should probably even restrain my language in the bonus. If you don't agree with them, you're a moron. So one, you don't get to decide what's best. But again, your, your entire analogy was false. There isn't, you can, the person with water only has the one choice. Oh, that's, oh, oh that's another way. It's because the person in the scenario is being given the options. That, that the person who has the water is being given the water. The person who has got the other toxic things to drink, those are things being presented to him. There, no, no one was actually ever free to go pursue whatever it was they could pursue.
1: At that moment, we would want the water, even if it is our only choice, right? The point of the hypothetical scenario is to show that the quantity of choices is not the only thing that matters to freedom. The quality of choices is equally, if not more, important. If you're thirsty, having five toxic liquids doesn't make you free. Heck, having a hundred toxic liquids doesn't make you free. When all of the choices are bad against the thing that you actually want and need, it doesn't matter how many choices you have, you are not free to make the right one. As odd as it may sound, the person given only one choice of water is infinitely more free than the other because that person has the ability to choose what is good. Okay, so again,
0: you have the inability to to choose the right one. As you declare it, you're taking the authority upon yourself to declare what is right. And son, because he looks like a young guy, you don't know. And you don't get to declare that for me. So your analogy's messed up in all kinds of ways. COVID-19 is not imminent death. We're not all at imminent death. So is that the, is this the scenario he's painting? We're all imminently going to die. And so you can either drink the water, which is staying in your house and shutting down the global economy, which causes other kinds of deaths. And then you can, uh, or or you can, I guess the other option is go out and, and definitely die. Well, your premises are wrong and Wrong in every way. I got you another example of this. Maybe I'll close the show with it. I am going to close the show with it. Yeah, let's let's slow down. There is this, um, this argument he's making here. I, I was going to make a big philosophical statement about freedom. Of uh, That the point of freedom is, is individualistic. It's to be able to do and pursue what you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. But he has this idea that COVID-19 is death, and it's the worst of all the deaths, and no death could ever be worse than that death. But now, I saw a... I like to live in the world of statistics and numbers and not stories, but let me, let me do it. Let me be a part of that type of argumentation with a story. I went to Twin Falls. It's near Sunset, South Carolina. It's a really easy little hike. I can't barely call it a hike. It's barely more than a mile. And it's a beautiful waterfall. If it's been raining recently, it really becomes a triple waterfall. They're all flowing into each other. It's, it's loud. It's incredible. It's majestic. And it was crowded when I was there. And I'm sure it otherwise would not have been except no one can go anywhere. Can't go to a restaurant. Can't go to a movie. Can't go shopping. Can't congregate. And so people are congregating now out in the woods. They're congregating in parks. Got a really tragic story. The next day, saw it on WYFF WHNS. The teenage girl, I believe from Pickens County, fell off the top of the waterfall and died of blunt force trauma. And what I don't like is it occurred to me the day before, when I was there, because it was so crowded. I said to myself, "It we will get more accidental deaths." because of COVID-19 precautions than we've ever gotten. As we have people not being, being able to congregate anywhere else as they push themselves outside, and outside is often an unsafe place to be, there will be more accidents. I didn't think of someone falling off the waterfall, but I thought there's going to be more death from accident outside. And so there's a story, and it's, and it, it's devastating. A teenage girl dying, She's probably not even on that hike. She's probably not even outside, if not for all the COVID-19 precautions. Does that make the precautions wrong? No, it doesn't. But there, is, there, is, there are other values to consider here. And human freedom is one of the chief ones. Human freedom is one of the things that makes life worth living. And to pretend that your your answers don't have consequences is false. There's There are consequences to your, to your policy. I would put that young lady as one of the consequences to that policy. All right, we'll call it a show. Hey, thanks for sticking around for liking an extra, what was that, 20 minutes or so of extra content. So thank you for sticking with the Corey Act Show. Uh, this is now the real ending for the podcast. I will be back with another new
1: edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, here's the real peace and love.